See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in, in the law, Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them up as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And continually in the temple, blessing God. Welcome to Easter, family of God. This is arguably the single most important day in the Christian calendar. And the human calendar, the significance of Jesus is so profound that he divided BC to AD, AD, BC before Christ to AD after Christ. Because he is the man that, that shook the whole world on this account. On the third day on being buried in the tomb when a big rock covered the, the cave that he was, he was buried in. Covered by a shroud, after three days, instead of decomposing, body with, with smell and everything, he rose from the dead. Kathy Keller said this, The stone was rolled away by the angels, not for Jesus to come out, but for you to go in and see. Hallelujah. It's for Mary, it's for Peter, for James to go in to see. He is no more there. He has risen. Jesus needs nobody to roll the rock away. He walked through the door into the disciples in the upper room. His spirit and his body combined. No one has risen from the dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Everybody else but only one person risen from the dead. So my first point today. My topic is the risen Christ. First point, I have four points. Number one, Christ must have risen from the dead or else there's no Christianity. There is no Christianity if Jesus has not risen from the dead. All the religions teach you to do this, do that, do good. They are the basis of the religion. Look at uh, Islam, look at Buddhism, look at Hinduism. Confucianism, every religion. But for Christianity, our faith is not on the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is only ethical, ethics. 
and the one that worship the Lord your God with all your heart, we can never achieve. That is called religion. The one that makes all the difference is because he rose from the dead. If he didn't rise, we are weak. We're wasting time. So, Christ, if Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no Christianity. First point. Okay. So, let me just read a few verses to you. Matthew 27, verse 57 to 66. Matthew 27, 57 to 66 says this. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it on his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that imposter said, while I was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a God of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Tell me, who can roll away that stone? Romans are renowned for the, for the, for the uh, detail, planning, vicious executioners. When they, especially to criminals, especially those who are threatened to the Roman Empire, to Caesar. Pharisees have been proclaiming that Jesus is a threat to Caesar. So they put, did, did you see that you have, a, you have a guard of soldiers? Go make it as secure as you can. Do you think Peter, James, and John, who are so weak, who are so frightened, can go to the tomb? Hey, Roman soldiers, excuse me, let's roll the rock away. Nobody can get there. Okay? Tim Keller writes this brilliantly. He says this. The central claim of the historic Christian message is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Tempting though it may be for us to jump quickly from Friday to Sunday, from the cross to resurrection, Matthew, which I just read to you, passes and brings us through the silence and stillness of the grave. I love these words. The silence and the stillness of the grave. For three days, it was very silent. For three days, it was very dark. Jesus was in the tomb. There's another Bible verse. Jesus went down to hell to preach the gospel to the, to the diseased, to the departed, which is highly, highly controversial. I believe he did. Anyhow, that aside, for three days, it was stillness and darkness. Matthew recorded. Matthew probably is the only guy who recorded it clearly in this, among the four gospels. Many have tried to dismantle the hope of Christianity. You know that. The world today is trying to dismantle the hope of Christianity. If they want to dismantle Christianity, the greatest weapon is to destroy resurrection. 
to say that this is a man-made story, that Christianity is done. There's no more Christianity. Suggesting that Jesus had not really died, or that eager disciples had stolen his body to substantiate their claims of a, of a risen Savior. You see, the enemies know how important is the resurrection of Jesus is to the world, to God, to the spirit. The spiritual principalities of darkness know. And I hope Christians know. You know, my, my, my instinct is that the, we Christians are so immune to the story of Easter year after year. It's almost what the, the world calls a Christian. Yeah, it's Easter. The, the world calls this Easter as Easter bunny, Easter eggs. They cleverly replaced the risen Christ with a bunny with an eggs. They cleverly replaced Christmas with the Son of God to Santa Claus. Okay, they're all outside. The enemies know they have to attack. If they attack Christianity, dismantle Christianity, which is the fastest growing religion in the world, the biggest religion in the world now, is to attack the resurrection of Christ. Because no man, it's impossible for man to rise from the dead. If Jesus did rise from the dead, no one can argue anymore. The argument is over. Join the line. Join the church. But the Christians, we sometimes get so immune to it. What is the impact of this resurrection to us, even as Christians? Matthew's interlude between the final breath and the first appearance speaks unequivocally of a death that was real, a grave that was silent as a situation appeared beyond hope. I said just now, right? That situation, Jesus was lying there, is beyond hope. All the disciples of Jesus were already retired. They're all, all escaping from the scene. They were so afraid. They were hiding. You can imagine the joy of their lives when Jesus appeared to them. If you were them, how would you feel? When I was preparing this sermon, I tried to immerse myself as a disciple of Jesus to see that knowing what the disciples has gone through. This disciple just gone through seeing the horrible, horrible scene of his beloved master, Lord. The one who performed miracles, opened the eyes of the blind, walked on the water, raised the dead, now hanging there, bleeding on his own. Where's the God of Abraham? Where's the God of Isaac, Jacob, Moses? Where's the God? You know, this is exactly what we ask. When this not going well, when we see some bad things happen in our life, we say, where is the God of Peter, of James, of Paul, John? Right? But the fact that we ask those questions, it really should really shake us up. It, sh- it really should shake us up. It's a shame to us because you know why? Because that's nothing compared to what the disciples were shaken. Peter denied Jesus three times. Because he was so afraid. Would you not be afraid? If you were Peter? Who is Peter? Jesus, almighty son of God. God beaten us so badly. I'm not going to pretend I'm going to be a hero. I believe in Jesus. Next. Crucifixion is next. Peter will be next. Everybody's so 
so silent, so quiet, so, so scared. Romans were thorough in carrying out capital sentences, particularly for those accused of treason. That Joseph was able to retrieve Jesus' body means the executioners were satisfied with the handiwork. Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, you know the Jews, the way they stoned people, they piled the stones on the criminal and completely demolished them, killed them. I watched a short video on, on, on uh, a guy who, who treasoned against Israel and then God told them to stone. This is culture of, of, of the Old Testament. They throw stones and they get first thing you hide. Your eyes protect your ears and head and brain, right? Stephen in the New Testament, he was stoned to death. That's how the Jews did with, with criminals. Do you think Jesus had a chance to get out at the piles of stones? That great stone would cover the entrance of the two men. There was no expectation of life beyond the grave. The tomb is still dark. And silent. Matthew's description of the uh, grave is a reminder the tomb was silent, yet the silence will only last one more day. Hallelujah. The silence will only last one more day. Just like the book of Psalms says, winter is, is going to pass, spring is coming. People of God, no matter what we face, what we, what we face in life, winter darkness is passing. Hallelujah. Spring is coming. God's spring is coming. No matter what you feel today, what you're going through in life, you may have gone through some real sufferings, and, and sometimes we do, sometimes we don't understand. But they're going to pass away. You know, last time when we were mourning for John Barilla, I was so impacted by, by his death that I, 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 I thought so much about it. And when I was giving the, you know, the testimony of, about him in his funeral, and I, I gave a lot of compliments to John, etc., etc. He's like a mentor to me in, in many ways. And I said this. The thing is this, guys. I know we cannot stay in the morning mode. We can't keep in this mode as much as we love the guy, as much as we feel as a huge loss. We have to most move on because our God has greater things for us because winter is passing. Hallelujah. Because our spring is coming. Daylight is coming. In the tomb, in the stillness, in the darkness, one more day. The tombstone will be rolled away. One more day. Kathy Keller wrote, which I told you, right? If Jesus didn't die and rise again, as Paul told the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 to 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 to 19. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Perished means, the word perish means completely gone. Completely. You know when somebody dies, if you don't know Christ in this world, when somebody you love very much dies, you think you never see them again. It's gone. Completely gone. And that's a fact. 
If you don't know Christ, if you don't believe in Christ. But if you do believe in Christ, you, you will be able to see. See, this is the beauty of it. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people most to be pitied. If you only hope in this world, you are the most pitiful people in this world as Christians. That's what Paul is saying. If you don't hope for the next one, next life coming, you live for this life, this world only. You are the most pitiful Christians. I am more and more convinced now. The more I do my Bible study and, and more my devotional time, the more I do my, my talks and videos, I, I keep saying there must be a sense of, of, of God's presence, God's coming, Christ's coming. You know, If not, we are the most pitiful people. If Jesus... You know, you know, let me tell you this. This is a very good one. Kathy Keller wrote this. Why pity? If believing in Jesus is what gets you through the day, as many skeptics have told me, that's Kathy Keller, then good for you. This is how New Yorkers talk, right? If you believe in Jesus, if that's good, that good for you, good for you. But just don't put it on me. You heard that before, right? We all have our lucky rabbit's foot to come for us. If Jesus is yours, then fine. Just don't push it on me. The problem with this argument is that our faith is in things Jesus did. If he didn't do them, then the whole thing is useless. Jesus, Christianity is based upon what Jesus has done. Not what Jesus said. No, not the ethics that Jesus teaches. That is far, far down the secondary. But the biggest and most important thing about Christianity is he died and paid the price for us. And he rose from the dead. He didn't stay in the dead. Hallelujah. If he stayed dead, there's no more Christianity. You're wasting time. Praise the Lord, his reason. A Christian's faith However, it's not in the ethical teaching of the Bible. There's a lot of ethical teaching in the Bible, right? They are good. But as I say, they are secondary, tertiary. If you treat the Bible as how to book, how to do book in life, then you just lost everything. You are no different than non-believers. You see, C.S. Lewis said this in the Abolition of Man beautifully. Rather, the Christian places his faith, her hope in of renewal, his confidence in forgiveness in the actions of someone else in Jesus Christ. We are saved because of the action of someone else. You are not saved because you have been a good man or woman. You were saved not because you, you try to obey the Bible and scriptures. You come to go to church because of that you, you are saved. No, you are saved because of Jesus' actions. Nothing to do with you. Jesus died. All you need to do is believe. This, you see what we read this morning? Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. The only thing Jesus, the reason Lord is asking us from us today, this morning, is that we trust him. We believe in him. We do not doubt him. Hallelujah. You know, the word believe is too washed down. I will expound on it later on. Okay. But let me come back here. If Jesus didn't live as he, didn't live as he lived, die as he died, and rise as he promised, 
Then we Christians are spending our life chasing a fairy tale, childish, stupid, pitiable, <laughs> strong words. I just want to say, okay, point number two, or else I can't finish this. Point number two, who is this Jesus Christ? Who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus who rose from the dead? This is the second question I want to address, second point today. Who is Jesus exactly? We all know that, right? He's son of God. He's the Savior. But let's go a little bit deeper. What did he say? Verse 44 to 46 says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, some must be fulfilled. Do you know the Old Testament? Everything the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. People think the Old Testament is completely detached from the New Testament. If you want to read the, about Jesus, go to the Gospels. In fact, if you want to read Jesus, go to Psalms as well. Go to Isaiah. Go to Zechariah. So many books, all the law of Moses, all the prophets speak about Jesus. I will show you shortly. All about epistles, Pauline's epistles, Paul's epistles, Peter's epistles. Are they not? Everything talking about Jesus. Everything is on Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. But the God of three greatest religions in the world. Christianity, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Three biggest. One patron, Abraham. But what's the difference between the three? The difference between the three is this God-man called Jesus. Because he died, he rose again. And he said, thus it's written, Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So who is this Jesus? Let's look at Old Testament first. Isaiah 42, verse 1 to 3. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 3. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Who is Jesus? You tell me who is Jesus right here. What is the Bible description of him? He's a bruised reed that will not break. Reed, like a plant. Was Jesus very healthy, strong? He was until he went to the cross. He was so badly bruised. You know, this is whole question about being vulnerable. That's why I encourage folks to go and come to the men's meeting, a woman's meeting. You know why? Because you cannot be vulnerable to one another on Sunday service. Because everybody wears the best. You see how well I put on a tie for Easter this morning even. You know, everybody put on the best and smile the correct way. You know what Facebook is? You put the best pictures on Facebook. Nobody knows you because you are always the best. If you want to know the real you, or the work called the authentic you, you have to look at me when I, I'm not on Facebook. Actually, I'm pretty much the same on Facebook and on Facebook. You see my talks on TikTok show, you know. So just that, that aside, I just want to tell you that. 
The only way to know a person is willing to be vulnerable. You cannot be vulnerable on Sunday, but you can be vulnerable in the small groups when you trust one another. You understand? Vulnerable, right? You're willing to share your struggles. You're willing to share your struggles. You know what they say? A lot of articles say, pastor is the most lonely job in the world. Because pastor is always supposed to look right, look the best on Sunday, right? When pastor struggles, nobody knows. Because pastor needs some friends. I know what it is like the, the, the article is saying. But you know, that aside, we all need friends. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. When you come to small group together, women's group, I, I, I applaud them. They come and meet together once a month. They could do more. Men's group, we've got to get together. Because when you get together, you begin to laugh. Begin to share jokes. You know, begin to share your struggles, some prayer for one another. That's the time you open up. That's what you call a bruise read. The Bible writes openly about the Son of God. No shame. No shame. I know shame is a very, very big word among Asian culture. No shame. He's broken. Jesus is broken read. But you know what? I like the last part of his, his bruise read, but he will not break. Hallelujah. You can beat him. You can spit at him. You can put a scorch, scorch his skin, peel his skin off. You can put a nail down his skull. He can be bleeding, but he will not break. What a mighty man. You know, sometimes we think, oh, he's God. Therefore, he can take the sufferings. You know, God doesn't suffer. God doesn't bleed. Who is bleeding? That is not the God Jesus. There's a man Jesus. Jesus went through all the pain. And he bled. He knew exactly. That's why he could understand us when we get tempted, when we suffer, when we go through hard times. He understands because he went through it. Hebrews, right? A bruised reed, he will not break. Hallelujah. God never promised you, you will never, you will never be bruised. But God promised you that you will not break. And you'll be strong. You, if you're never bruised, you will never be strong. I always remember in Chinese, there's an idiom. You know, my Chinese is not too bad. Okay, check this out. How many of you understand that? Okay, nobody does. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like in, a, in, a, in a very solar room. You have little flower in the uh, solar room. You, you're so protected. You never know what life is like outside there. Tim Keller said, a preacher can never be at his best without going hard time, going through hard times in life. By going through hard times, your sermon's so much richer. Hallelujah. By going through hard times, you struggle, you anguish, you pray for people. You got ten a few funerals. <clears throat> it breaks your heart. You begin to know what it is. It's no more like an armchair theologian. I'm here doing the exegesis, exposition, hermeneutics. You don't know nothing. Until you go out there and meet with the people. Fight in the trench, they call it. And Jesus fought in the trenches. A bruised reed, he not break. And next one, a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. You know wick, right? W-I-C-K is a, you know candle, there's a little, little, what do they call? Uh, thing. Uh, like, like little string, that's wick. You see, it's a, a faintly, the candle is just barely burning, faintly burning. That's Jesus. But he will not quench. But the fire will not go out. That's the beauty. 
The fire was not burning strong. Oh, everything is good, you know. Jesus was not going through like, oh yeah, hallelujah, life is good, everything is great. No. At the end of his life, that fire almost went out. Especially at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he pleaded with God the Father, take away this cup. I'm just astounded, if you think about it. The Son of God would even ask that. This shows me how human he is. This shows me how much vulnerability the Bible is willing to expose to the world. How much he struggled. He's a real man. He's just like me. But just perfect. <laughs> he understands how it feels. He said, Father, take away this cup. But very quickly he said, but not my will, but your will. A bruised, a bruised reed will not break. A faintly burning wick will not quench. Who is this Jesus? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The Son of God, when you look from outside, hanging on the cross, you think the fire is going to go out now. Anytime now. Anytime now. Peter runs. Peter told James, James, John, run fast for our lives, for your life. It's over. This thing, this adventure of three years with the greatest man, we thought the greatest man on earth, the, 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 our Messiah, I think is over. Run. The Romans will be going after us. He looked so weak. The world thinks Jesus has lost, but that fire never went out. At his resurrection, the little fire blossomed into a huge bonfire. So big that there was an earthquake immediately. So big that the rocks began to split. You remember that verse, which I'm going to read to you. At the rest, at the, when Jesus died, the rocks split. Did you know that if you read, I'm going to read to you. A lot of dead bodies in the tombs. The tombs broke. The dead bodies rose up and walked towards Jerusalem. Not one, not two, not three. A lot. I don't know how many, but it did happen. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to go buy that. Some people ask me, you know. It's somebody, in, this is in Christ. Somebody who believes. Have died for 50 years. Is that still a body? Nothing. It's all decomposed, right? But the Bible said they rose from the grave. The bodies came out. The bodies must have come together. Don't ask me how. But this is what's happening. The little little flame on the wick that almost went out caused the spring of the rocks and the curtains in the temple tore. Boom! You know what the temple, that, that curtain means? The curtain means it's a separation between the Holy of Holies and the general temple. No one can enter beyond the curtain except the high priest once a year. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from the top down. You know, the temple is like 20, 30 feet. You know, boom, all the way, bang. What is he saying? Because Jesus died, Jesus bought it. Now we can, we can come to the Holy and Holies every day. That's how we, you and I can pray every day. All right, this is what's happened. 700 BC, that Isaiah 42 I just read to you is written in about 700 BC. That means 700 years before Jesus was born. You want to know who Jesus is? Read the history. Historical fact Isaiah 42, verse 9 Behold, the former things have come to pass, the new things I now declare to you. Temple curtain was torn. Matthew 27, verse 50 to 52. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints. Bodies. Not many spirits. Many bodies. I want you to really understand, walk away from this Easter service, that when you resurrect, you'll be a body. It will not be a spirit. When you die, your spirit go up, boom, to heaven, be with Jesus like the thief on the cross. But your body lays in the tomb and continue to decompose. First Corinthians chapter 15, when the Lord returns, trumpet sounds, all the bodies in the graveyard, boom, in Christ, believers, arise. And then go up, God will give them a new celestial body. That's it, that's it, that's the end. Will never, never rot. You see? And many bodies of the saints that fallen asleep were raised and they walked towards Jerusalem. If you don't get converted, see all this thing, you have no chance at all. You know, the first convert after Jesus resurrected, in fact, was a Roman centurion. Roman soldier captain is a Roman, not a Jew. Listen to this. Verse 53, and coming out of the tombs, these many bodies came out of the tombs. After Jesus, after his resurrection, they went into the holy temple. They don't just rise from the tombs and say, hello world. No, they walked towards the holy city, which is the holy city, Jerusalem. They walked into there and appeared to many people. Not Jesus, not only Jesus appeared to many people, but the dead people who have been dead for years and decades, maybe centuries, rose from the grave and walked straight to Jerusalem and appeared to many people. Go figure. Why is not history talking about this? Why are we not talking about this? Why do you worry about this life? Look at these people. The next one is the powerful one coming. Put all your hope in the next one. Verse 54. Now, check this. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and say, truly, this was the Son of God. He believed it. The Roman centurion and those with him, the Roman soldiers, obviously, the Roman soldiers and the Roman centurion looked at this. Oh my God. <coughs> he is the Son of God. That's it. Now, no more description. I don't know what happened next. They repent or not. What? I don't know. But what I do, what I do want to say is they believed. Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. So, you know who this Jesus is now? A little bit more. My friends, this morning is absolutely crucial. You do not walk away this place without putting your faith in Christ. In an absolute way that nothing will snatch you from you. It's yours. Nothing. Point number three. Point three. I have four points. Point three. Everything written about Christ in the law, Moses, prophets, and Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay. The reason Christ fulfills all that is written in the Bible, in the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. In other words, if Jesus did not fulfill those prophecies written about him, then Christianity is fake. But he fulfilled everything. I told you, right? 
Everything is about a person for Christianity. It's not about Ten Commandments, as glorious as they are. It's not about Moses' power where he is. It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became a man, who died for us, and who rose from the dead. That's what we celebrate today. Let me give you... Yeah, that is... Uh, Luke t- verse 44, we read that, right? The fact that Jesus has already despondent disciples clearly suggests that these disciples, disciples fail in a significant way. They have failed to believe in the Holy Scriptures. That's why Jesus said, Don't you know that everything written about me must be fulfilled? It was not an accident. It is already prophesied about me. I must die. So don't be shaken. Don't weep over this. It's okay. I've already overcome. I have overcome. Hallelujah. You know, you need to hear these words from the lips of Jesus. I have overcome. When you go through anything in life, I don't care what it is, your struggles, anguish, whatever, those three words got to ring loud in your soul, in your spirit. I have overcome. Hallelujah. And therefore, you can overcome. Psalm 22, verse 1 to verse 2, which I read in the beginning. But anyhow, this is good. My, Psalm 22, verse 1 to verse 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Jesus groaned. So it's okay for you and I to groan in life. Jesus groaned. In fact, if you don't groan, then maybe something is wrong. Verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day. But you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Did you find that yourself? I have. Have you not experienced this? Because Jesus experienced that. So it's okay. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. But it's good for your soul. For my soul. Oh my God, I cry by day. You do not answer. Verse 14, 15, I jump to verse 14, 15. I'm poured out like water. That is Jesus. I'm poured out like waters. All my bones are out of joy. No bones of Jesus was broken. Okay, that's a prophecy. No bones were broken. That's true. But all his bones are out of joint. Okay, don't think. This is why I cannot stand people telling me oh, it's, free of, it's free for you to receive Jesus go to heaven. It's free of charge. It's not, it's maybe free of charge. It's very, very expensive. The bones of Jesus were out of joint. All his bones out of joint. You know how painful it is? You know why it is so difficult? Because when a person is hung on the cross for more than, I don't know, 10 minutes or even, your cardiac, your breathing is so difficult because you cannot Recover your breath because your weight, the whole body is hanging in there. You can't even breathe properly. There's almost a suffocation, even. The cardiac problem, check the medical article, you can read it out yourself. You know, that's how the Romans come up with the most, most cruelest, excruciating, painful execution, death penalty for criminals or treason or the worst criminals. And Jesus was one of them. All my bones are out of joint. Now, next one. My heart is like wax. Have you, have you ever felt your heart is like a wax? Like a candle wax in a melting away. Your heart, have you, have you like, you've gone down like a, like a very high, you know, like go to Disney, Disney World. 
you come down from very high roller coaster coming down, your heart is like wax because you, your heart melts because you're so scared you're, you're coming from great height down. But Jesus' heart is like wax. It's all melting all over. It's so broken. It's melted within my breast. He said, my heart is melted. And yet he still say, Father, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. How great is our God. My strength is dried like a pot shed. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. He's telling God, his own father, you lay me in the dust of death. But it's okay. I know what I'm doing. I know that I have to do this for the joy ahead of me. For the joy ahead of my people. And he said, I call my brothers unto me. Right? That's why he can call us his brother. Jesus can call us his brothers or sisters because his heart melted like wax. Because he died for all of us, suffered for all of us that we should have suffered. He died the death that we should have died so that we can be brought into the family of God. We become like his brothers and sisters. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 4. This is another contrast of sufferings. Psalm 2, 1 to 4. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. Let's cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God laughs at the world who's trying to kill his son. God laughs at the world, at the Roman soldiers trying to crucify his son. God laughs at the Pharisees trying to plot, trying to say malicious accusation towards his anointed one, his own son. God laughs from heaven. God did not cry in heaven. God laughs. God knows exactly. And of course, by the time when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? I'm sure God's heart's broken. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 to verse 9. I would tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. And if you say, ask of me, I'll give you the nations of the earth. That's who is talking to who now? Father talking to the Son. See? God the Father talking to God the Son, Jesus Christ. My Son, ask of me. I'll give you the nations of the earth. That's what he did. Jesus got the whole nations of the world by his dying and rising from the, from the, death, from the dead. Jesus did not just say, oh, Father, give it to me then. The Father could not give to him. It's almost like playing words, you know. Because Father said, I'll give you. I'll give it to you through your death. Do you understand? I'll give it to you, but you have to die. But I will raise you up. Respectfully, with all sincerity, that one is really a hard saying. You know, to ask your son to die on the cross. And that's God the Father. It just shows the immensity of his He's a transcendent God. I'm talking this way so that you understand what I feel, what we all should be feeling. 
But that's not how God feels, okay? Because it's transcendent. You see, ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God said, you will dash the nation to pieces. You will dash the satanic powers to pieces. You will break them to pieces. That's how it is. Jesus won the world. Now, I want to give you one verse and now jump to my last point. This verse will tell you that who is Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. Knowing that you were ransomed for the futile, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you who threw him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish, the lamb, which is Jesus Christ, Santi de Gaulia, the lamb of God, the lamb was foreknown, that is known beforehand, foreknown when? Before the foundation of the world. That means the blood of the Lamb was already known before the foundation of the world. That means Jesus was already set, already destined to die for the world before Adam and Eve. Before Genesis 1-1, God created the world. That is, that is the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was already foreknown. He's going to shed his blood. Now that's Jesus. For the sake of you. For the sake of you. Verse 21. Who through him are believers in God? Who raised him from the dead? So that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, my last point. Look, this is the important one. This is much more contemporary now. More application. It's called the unmerited grace. Unmerited grace. This unmerited grace is because of the risen Christ. That's why it's in this point. Later on, I'm going to do the, I think the, maybe the worship. I will talk about the Calvin's theology of worship that will deal with all the grace. It's, it's, it's all about grace of God. Grace is so powerful, so important. That's why I want to bring this into this sermon. The unmerited grace. Okay, I, want, I do want to read to you <clears throat> verse 45, today's text. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and Jesus said to them, It is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus is counting on them. You saw everything. Now I want you to go out and tell the world. What is the message? The message is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In my name. That's the message. We are to go out to share to the world this message of forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is, is supernatural. If you forgive somebody, somebody punch you really hard, hit you down the subway, you were bleeding... And, and, uh, and he came and apologized to you. You got discharged in the hospital. You say, 
you have apologized in Christ, I forgive you. But you know, you're still bleeding. You can forgive the guy, but you are still bleeding. Forgiveness does not stop the blood from bleeding. Forgiveness has not changed the one who is wrong. It's changed the one who is who, who wronged you. But it does set you free from in your heart. But physically, all the damage stays with you. When Jesus set us free, Jesus suffered the punches and the bleed, bleeding and everything. He still went through it. Right? Just because he forgives us, it doesn't mean that he didn't have to suffer. He suffered. He's already gone through the suffering. Then he forgive you. That's called unmerited grace. Have you done anything? Have I done anything? Have we done anything? Nothing. Have the, when Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples, look at my hands. Why do you doubt? Why are you troubled? I, I love the fact that he asked first, why are you troubled? Before he asked, why do you doubt? That's very pastoral, you know. He said, why are you troubled? You know how much trouble they have gone through? You know how much fear... For the last three days, Peter, James, and John gone hiding. Why are you troubled? First, they said, peace upon you, peace on you. Just like he walked on the water, remember, in the boat in the nighttime? And everybody thought it was a ghost. It's me, peace on you. It's me. Why are you troubled? You see, all the 11 disciples done Nothing. Nothing. Everything is done by Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus suffered. He got humiliated. He suffered. He died. He rose from the dead. Everything. One, two, three, four, five. Whatever. All by Jesus. Today, my message to you to conclude today's sermon is that you and I have done nothing. Everything is done by him. Alistair Begg put in a... It's just gone viral now in, in the internet world, in the Twitter world, in the Facebook world about... They, they took a two minutes clip from his preaching on the man on the, the thief on the cross. He said, one day when I get to heaven, I would like to ask the thief who made it to, the he- to heaven. He said, how did you make it? How was it like? Jesus on the center cross, the thief on the left, the thief on the right. The thief on the right said, Jesus, you call yourself the son of God. Save yourself. And save me too. And then thief on the left side. Quiet. We are the criminals. We deserve the cross. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said the most single, most important line of his life. He turned and looked to Jesus. Literally like minutes before he died or hours before he dies. He spoke to Jesus. Lord. When you enter into your kingdom, remember me. And guess what? The answer from the, the Son of God is the most stunning answer I've ever heard. He turned around and looked at him. Today, he still, when Jesus said that he was about to die, you know, he was bleeding so bad. I think he was gasping for breath. He shouldn't be saying, today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's it. Alistair <laughs> Beck said, this thief... Who got to heaven? When he got to heaven, the angels came. How did you asking? How did you make it? How did you make it? Uh, I don't know. I'm here. And then let me get you. Let, the angels said, let, let us get our supervisor here. So they, they want to get the supervisor to, to meet with that guy. Um, 
the supervisor said, mm, let me just cut to the chase. Do you know the doctrine of justification? And that thief said, what? Okay, forget that. Let's go straight into the doctrine of the inerrancy of the scripture of the word of God. Have you heard? I've never heard anything. So the supervisor of the angels say to him, um, but how did you get here? Again, how did you get here? And the guy blurted out. He said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. That's it. He said, I'm coming. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what you need. The man said, I can come. Jesus said, I can come. That guy has never been to Sunday school, never been to church, never been to baptism, never been to Sunday school, never heard doctrine of justification, nothing. He's up there immediately. I love that. That's called unmerited grace of God. Hallelujah. You, you know, it's bad. I was the back ask this. You know, if somebody goes to heaven and the people in heaven ask, how did you get here? If you start with the, with the personal pronoun I, then you're done. <laughs> because you have done nothing. Whatever you've done, you shouldn't even be here. You should be down there. Don't even come and tell me you feed two, 250 poor, uh, homeless people. Don't come and tell me that you, you give a lot of money to the poor. Don't come and help me that you help the widows and everything. They're all good. But those this thing won't get you here. If you ever start with the personal pronoun, I, you're out. You're done. The only way you are here is because he, hallelujah, because he has saved me. He said, I can come. He said, I'm coming. That is unmerited grace. That's a, that is what Jesus has done for us. He has done everything for me. That's Christianity. It's not performance. Remember this word. I got it from Tim Keller, this one. It's not performance. Remember this. Christianity is never a performance. It's, not, it's never how good you have tried to be. I was on a one-hour call again with my mom Friday night. Every Friday I called my mom. I told her so many times about believe and that's it, right? I said, but what about those people who are who be really good people? You know, they don't believe in Christ, but they, they've done a lot of good things. The Buddhists and you know, they're Muslim, they're all they are very good people. I said, Mom, by being good, you never get in there. It's about what Christ has done. I, I, she knows it, but she, she's 80, 82. So her mind sometimes just forgets, forgets, forgets. I keep trying to bring her back. Every week I have to remind her. It's never about you. The performance is I could try harder. You know what? This is really, really important. Christianity is about unmerited grace. Calvin brings grace back into worship. You know, when you worship God, you don't have the transcendent all, A-W-E. All of God. Worship leaders speaks of the cuff. That's his words. You never prepare well. And you, Tim Keller calls it, it's like a foxiness. Foxiness. You know, it's like, it's very light, you know. It's very easy. There's no a sense of all towards God. But if you have all the sense of all only, and the teaching of the word of God only, you don't have the joy. 
You see, worship you have the both. You gotta have transcendent connection with God and the delight in God. That can both of them can only come from the unmerited grace of God. Hallelujah. Because He has done it, I am so awed by Him. Because He has done it for me and saved me, I'm so overjoyed. You can have both. But if you come to the house of God and say, I will worship you, I will praise you, Lord, to get something from God, it's gone. You just, you just lost the transcendent presence of God. In your life, in the worship, it's the same thing. Worship is worship, congregation worship, and worship all of life. When you go and play baseball, play while enjoy God, you, you are worshiping God. When you study, do everything for God, for Christ. You see that? Performance will not get you in. But the, but the grace, unmerited favor, un, I, I should... I don't mean favor. Unmerited grace of God will get you in. And you're a small, much more happier person. You come to, how many of you have done this? You try, you come to a point that you're so tired of trying that you cannot do it anymore. You want out and you just say, I, I'm just so discouraged. I cannot do it. I prayed and prayed. Nothing happened. It happened to me. I'm sure it happened to you. But when you come to a point, you say, you come to a point, you worship him more. Because he has done it. I cannot do it. What am I going to do? I'm going to ride on what he has done. Hallelujah. You can only ride on. The, the premise of what you can do in life is based on what he has already done for you on the cross. Everything. Everything. Worship and your hardship in life. Whatever you want. Ministry. Relationship. All right. Okay, I got to finish soon. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to, um, to 21. Let me read this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated on the right hand of the Father on the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, known in this age, but also the one to come. That is, that is what Jesus has accomplished. Psalm 22, 22 to 23. I will tell your name to my brothers. I, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. I will tell of name to my brothers. I, I preached that just now, right? Jesus called us his brothers. <clears throat> Psalm 25, verse 12 to 14. I'll, end, I'll close here. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will be instructed in the way he should choose. If you want to make a decision in life, fear God. Not to try to read books, try to be, work, check with, you know, counseling is good. Ask people's obedience finally and all this thing. Finally, you have to fear the Lord. Fear is reverence and awe. Fear is not like afraid of God punishing you, judging you. Fear is like you saw awe, reverence. Without piety, you can't see God. If you don't know God, you'll never know yourself. Calvin said it. So, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. That's what God promises. How do you get all these things? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear him. Worship him. 
in all of him. That is a God of unmerited grace towards us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, today we, we come and remember your resurrection on this Easter Sunday. All that you have done blows our minds. It's not like you, you decided last minute to go to the cross. It's been determined by you yourself and God the Father, the, tri- the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit already decided before you created the foundation of the world in Genesis that you are going to shed your blood to save us. Oh God, you are the master. You are the master planner. You are the master decider. You are absolutely sovereign. The fact that you're, you're, you're willing to become a, a, a weak, with a faintly burning weak, but never get snuffed out. The fact that you, are, you have become all these things because you endure sufferings. You endure for the joy in front of you. Oh Lord, the resurrection power is so powerful that the rocks were split. Earthquake happened. And the temple's curtain was split into two. The resurrection power. This time is so powerful. And, and, uh, and the death of Christ on the cross may seem to be a foolishness to, to the Greeks. A stumbling block to the Jews. But on the second coming, when you come back, you shall come with mighty strength. And thousands and thousands of angels come to this world. Trumpets shall sound and shall raise the dead from the tombs. They shall rise up and you shall come. And no more with the one suffering on the cross. You shall be coming on the, as the one who judged the world. Hallelujah. And all the dead in Christ will rise from the tombs. Thank you, God. For our Lord, our God, for the God, the transcendent God who loves us so much, who are willing to give everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen.